everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Roost Podcast. As always, I am Carter Spires, here with my co-host Matthew Bartlett, the founder and managing editor of The Roost, your premier source for rice sports news and analysis. Well, we... Every, every week after we record this podcast, we sit there and go, well, I don't know what we're going to talk about next week. And then something always happens to give us something to talk about. And uh, we are still waiting on the big rice news that should hopefully be coming within the next week. We are recording this on Tuesday, but uh, still a lot of scheduled things happening, which, surprise, it's 2020. Yeah, I mean... It's it's funny because I th- keep thinking about we get to every every episode and we're like, man, like the Big Ten last week coming back and announcing the return from the dead after three months of cancellation. Like, I'm like, that's huge. Surely we were good for like a, a while. And then two days later, we're like, well, the Mountain West and we'll get we'll, we'll get to everything else coming. But it's it's been that kind of and then there's games on the field. Allegedly, real football is happening. So uh, a, a couple of housekeeping things. Uh, I guess off, off the bat, first, uh, thank you all If you for those who have listened and, and rate, review, subscribe. Go ahead and if you haven't yet, go ahead and, and share this with your friends, especially if we do get some rice football, fingers crossed, coming back soon. We're going to make sure that want everybody plugged in and uh, and interested to uh, get y'all's feedback and, and hopefully make this a, a fun conversation as we get whatever season is, is coming for the owls. And, and make sure you can go ahead, as always, find, follow us on Twitter, at The Roost, on Facebook. Uh, Instagram. I don't have a TikTok. Apparently, that's going out of style. Well, maybe it's still in style. We just can't get it anymore. That's a different podcast. Um, and then go ahead and <laughs> uh, go ahead and, and stick around to the end of the show. We got Eric Henry coming on from Underdog Dynasty. Go ahead and talk. You know, around Conference USA, the quarterback battle at man, just about every school. It feels like and and ranking <laughs> trying to figure out who the best two or three quarterbacks in conference USA is that proved more difficult than maybe we might've thought, but we will start with the news and I guess we can get up top with, do we want to go conferences first or we'll start there. So yep. big 10 has released their third schedule of 2020. Third which, time's the charm, right? I, They'll play it, yeah. and they rewarded Nebraska we'll for driving the bus on we went to play with a opening game against Ohio State. I did see that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you you raise a whole fuss. Your, uh, your like, president and athletic director are regularly accidentally leaking news slash not news related to uh, uh, potential restarts, things happening. You know, I, I'm not saying they did it on purpose, to punish Nebraska, but I'm not not saying it either. But they might have. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. And then we, I, I think you go back in the time machine to last week. So when we recorded the show last week, we had the Big Ten announcement. And then there was kind of some scuttle that the Pac-12 might think about possibly coming back. So in the past week, the Pac-12, I think there's... a. a these all of these secret board meetings. I don't think anybody paid attention to when a conference was having a board meeting before, you know, March. And now that's that is the news. But I, I believe that the Pac-12 is is having a board meeting at some point into this week and, and eyeing a potential restart October 31st, November 7th. The Mountain West has kind of gotten, I guess, in front of the Pac-12. Pac-12. <laughs> in the back again uh, they're talking about an october 24th restart and i think i just saw this this week on tuesday pete thamel reported that the mac could have a decision this week so the mac might be back as well and of course umass i don't know who they're going to play but umass has said that they are open to playing this fall so just I mean, like if, if central arkansas can can wander around the country showing up in people's backyards and challenging them to football games Maybe UMass can manage it as well. I mean, we've we have clearly and hopefully once and for all uh, put the lie to bed that college football games need to be scheduled decades in advance because we have games getting scheduled and canceled and rescheduled and shifted around, you know, all within the span of a few days at this point. So 
Well, and I think the underrated pandemic storyline is rogue army willing to put the ball down and play you anywhere. Did you did you see uh, Mike Buddy's tweet? I guess well, no, last, I don't think last so. week. So I'm trying to remember who they were supposed to play. Uh, Army's game got canceled because oh, it was BYU, right? Oh, BYU yeah. had to cancel because of of, of COVID and, and contact tracing. So Mike Buddy, AD at, at Army, puts out a tweet, you know, kind of like a somewhat jokingly, but you can tell he's being serious. You know, a college football team, COVID negative, seeking like uh, <laughs> opponents for <laughs> Saturday. And then the end of the tweet was Twitter, do your thing. And I was just like, oh, this is real. We're, we're scheduling football games on Twitter. And and this is great. And then I think the I'm trying to remember it was maybe it was Chris Vanini or it was somebody. I think the Athletic broke the news. The the next or I think that was he put that out early Monday Tuesday like Wednesday a Central Arkansas game they had announced that or Arkansas State one of those two had announced that they had to cancel a game because of contact tracing. Maybe it was between those two two and two teams. And and my buddy had the Arkansas. I'm going to get this wrong. Somebody will correct me. I think it was Central Arkansas. The Central Arkansas Central Arkansas AD had told the Athletic that Army had called them within 20 minutes of the the cancellation going public, offering to play them a game that weekend. <laughs> I mean, you know, why not? Like, hopefully, this starts a trend. I mean, this uh, is that would be like best case scenario for Army, right? Because Rice had Army at the beginning of the season last year, and they spent. All off season and early camp prepping the triple option yeah. and working on those cut blocks. This is like the like oh, yeah. dark horse it's, army it's the ideal scenario around the country. Like, yeah, for a flexbone team to be able to schedule a team on like three days notice. I mean, that's the dream because you know now the defensive coordinator is like literally pulling his hair out because he has to teach his guys to play the flex to play the triple option and you know, a practice or two. Hey, then they almost took down. Was it Michigan last year, Oklahoma? Like that would be fun. I'm all on like spin the wheel. You're playing army this week. <laughs> At this point, uh, they shouldn't have. That's, just a, that that's a horrible door prize. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah. And, and to think that that could have been what the fourth game. On I, I lose track of what it would have been on Rice's schedule at, at this point. But before I get to Army, UMass, I think I was getting to, they have also said that they're open to playing this fall. Of course, they're an independent with no games on their schedule. So, I don't know. Rice has scheduled games at this point. So that's, that's one up on UMass. <laughs> It's going to be strange. You, I yeah. mean, we, we look at the and, schedule and it's now. Gonna, it's going to keep getting weirder from here. Yeah. And so this is I feel like it's been a solid couple weeks since we brought out the math. And this was the, the last kind of thing that I wanted to get to just to get true rice nerd math. Bring it to <laughs> you here. I just went at and I think somebody pulled together a, a tweet of all of the college football games that had been canceled since week one so since austin p and central arkansas kick off i'm not counting i mean shoot we're probably in the several hundreds of of games that were canceled before that right i don't know so not counting those the the the, the through the first three weeks of the season there were 16 college football games canceled and that includes houston baylor and FAU Georgia State, which were canceled on Fridays before a Saturday game, which is crazy. I don't know if you you saw this, Carter, but Dana Holgerson literally tweeted a picture of the U of H equipment bus in front of McLean Stadium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we're ready. I was reading that Bruce Feldman story about the the lead up to the cancellation today. Yeah, so this is all nonsense. But so 16 games canceled. There were 49 games completed. You do some rough math, and we're talking about through three weeks of the season, 25% of scheduled games have been canceled, which doesn't seem like 
terribly high, all things considered. But I'm 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 trying to like pull it out to a full season. So if you say most teams across the country are aiming for ten ish games, the odds of a college football team playing a ten game schedule and playing all ten of those games is little more than five percent. That's crazy. Yeah, and that's just going off, you know, sort of the haphazard collection of. Well, first of all, that's not including like today. It was just announced that uh, uh, Notre Dame and Wake Forest uh, are canceled or postponed, which is the first Power Five on Power Five game uh, to be postponed thus far. But you. You know, there have been sort of a haphazard collection of standards so far, but, you know, like the Big Ten especially is trying to play eight games in eight weeks. And they're like, they have something that's like if 5% of your roster tests positive, you have to, like, they have a pause. And like, if you, I don't I don't know if it's their testing positive or if it's the, the contact tracing, but like, they're going to have players out for three weeks if, it, if those, if the tests happen, if the tests, there are positive tests. And I, oh, I mean, first of all, you just think about that 5% number, even if you assume like a roughly 100 person roster with walk ons. I mean, that's five or six players. Yeah. And, and the, the craziest thing about it is everyone wants to think that they're the exception, right? Well, like we have we have the best protocols. We're doing great. Like we we're doing everything right. That's the thing. You could do everything right. And your opponent could do almost everything right, and you you miss a game. Yeah. And, I mean, and, it, and you could do everything right and then play an opponent who didn't, and then all of a sudden you've got an outbreak on your team. Like, I mean, that's that's the, the insidious part about this, is like, you know, you'll hear people making, you know, you can broaden this out to the pandemic as a whole, but you hear people making these very specious arguments about like, oh, well, you know, just let people assume the risk like it's their choice. But like, you know, it, it it's not like getting in a car like a, a, a car accident is not contagious. You know, like that's the thing about this is you can do everything right. But if you're around people who didn't do everything right, then it doesn't really matter. So um, and I'm just I'm prepping for the season that and I just I, I just randomly pulled this up because I'm like, I feel like this is probably an apt comparison but I, I have right now the Wikipedia page for the 1894 college football season in front of me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Where Yale went 16 and 0. So in this scenario, they had they had no outbreak. Sure, sure. And then you're going down the list, and you have fourth place Penn State in the Eastern College Football Independence, 6 0 and 1. <laughs> Like that's that's we're like we're prepping. We had a crazy controversial Conference USA title game who is going situation last year. And that's when everybody was able to, you know, for the most part, play play their schedule as is. We're going to have a team that's played eight games against a team that's played five games, but won them all debate in like seven, eight weeks. And it's going to be wonderful because there's football. I mean, at this point, I'm just sort of some sort of hoping that like the apotheosis of all this is that somebody pulls a whatever year that was where Sawani basically hopped on a train and played like eight games in the span of 10 days or something like that. So, you know, I'm just I'm just waiting for the point where where Army or Central Arkansas or maybe UMass uh, just decides to to book a series of flights and, and, you know, hitchhike across the country and, you know. Just just put together a whole season's worth of schedule in about three weeks. And hey, if you're UMass, right, they, they, one of the things of, of scheduling up in the, in the Northeast is like, you know, the rel- relative lack of depth of options. They could, you know, what's the craziest thing? Like, just fly down to like camp out in like, I don't know, Dallas, Oklahoma City. And uh, everyone's it's all online learning for the most part. It, it, Anyway, right? So just you, you be there and say, hey, we are a hour, hour and a half plane flight away from anyone. Let's go. <laughs> you would become, if you know, people, UMass football, you want to bring it back? This is how you do it. You become America's team. Uh, well, what, we saw, what a, we saw what a future. What a future. <laughs> <laughs> 
uh, it's been it's been that kind of week. It's been that kind of month. Who knows? You know, as soon as we hit stop on so- something, we're going to ha- I don't I feel like just about everybody's announced they're coming ish back at, at this point. I, I, I actually I think the Southland is we they announced a, a spring schedule, right? So. Yeah, you know, we're going to have college football and some strange form of fashion of scattered weeks from August, end of August until May. Need we'll look on the bright side. I am going to be watching Sam Houston and some Incarnate Word. Are they in the Southland? Let's go for it. There you go. <laughs> I'm in. All right. So I I think am I missing anything? I think those were uh, yeah. I think that covered it. Big news items for the week. Oh my goodness, there will be more. Almost assuredly. No, no almost about it. Assuredly. All right, and we're here now with our guest, Eric Henry from Underdog Dynasty. How are you, man? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. I am just happy that we have football in some form or fashion. It seems like the two schools that both of us are most closely affiliated with are the latest to uh, get started here, and Rice that hasn't started yet, and FIU that's tented, that is tentatively getting started on Saturday. So, uh, fingers crossed, but ready to get back to work, man, cover some football. Yeah, it's been bizarre taking the week-by-week look with with Rice not playing, and and I keep going out in the schedule. I'm like, wait, FIU hasn't started yet. Nope, not this week. Maybe next week. Eventually, we'll get everybody back on the field. Maybe? (laughs) Exactly right. Does it feel like the season has actually began now that the team that you cover primarily hasn't started yet and the SEC's not back yet? It's so weird, right? Because it's like, Everyone else is playing football, but I don't feel like the season's officially started because I haven't covered a game yet, you know, and and down here due to the COVID issues, uh, practices are, are kind of off limits, uh, so to speak. So, um, yeah, it feels like I'm moving in slow motion and everyone else is like moving full go. So come Saturday and things will feel normal when I'm in a press box and uh, talking to uh, one uh, Paul Hilton Davis Jr. With real football on the field. No doubt about it. It'll be crazy when we get there. And we have we have had some we uh, a bit beyond, I guess, Rice and and FIU kind of big picture thoughts from the first, I guess, technically three weeks, two and a half ish weeks of football and in Conference USA. What are the couple, you know, one or two things that have really caught your eye? Well, I would have to say this, Uh, starting with Southern Miss. I I don't want to say that we were anticipating something like this. However, you had to kind of read the tea leaves, right? Once you saw multiple players start to opt out and transfer out, you understand this, you know, no disrespect to Southern Miss fans who may have an overinflated idea what their program is. But, hey, you know, I didn't take that cheap shot. Um, (laughs) Southern Southern Miss is not Clemson, right? So you got a lot of, you know, pulled punches thrown back and forth between guests about. So, <laughs> so that particular program. Yeah, we, we get to just just sit here and casually play the neutral party while having on the guest to like take shots at each other's respective programs. And it's great because we share all of those respective derisive thoughts, but we don't have to take the blame for them. That's kind of like how it is. When we have guests on the Conference USA pod, right? Like, it's, it's how it works. No, I'll make this point really quick about Southern Miss. So, I mean, you know, you would expect that though that uh, um, high number of opt outs from a an uh, Oklahoma or an LSU or Clemson, you know, where you have multiple guys going to the NFL. But when you see that from Southern Miss, it makes you wonder like, all right, what on earth is going on there? Because you're not really expecting that from a G5 football program. And then of course, to, you know, take that loss to USA, South Alabama on week one, a program that hasn't won more than six games in eight years, if my memory serves me correct. That was was something that you noticed. But the other big thing I I have to state, uh, middle Tennessee, I don't know what's going on there. I mean, if you want to take the 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 look at it when you really dig beneath the stats, yes, Middle Tennessee was a four and eight team last year, and Asher O'Hara had a heck of a year. I mean, everyone talks about the fact that he was one of two quarterbacks to throw for twenty five hundred yards and rush for a thousand. But here's the key, guys: that rushing attack outside of Asher O'Hara has not been good. And quite frankly, you can be nice and say a year and change, but this is going back to honestly a year and a half, even two years. If you look at the leading rusher from last year's team in terms of a running back, Asher rushed for, I believe it's 1,060 yards or 1,058, something like that. But 
if you look at the leading rusher from a running back perspective, the leading rusher only had 206 yards. And, and if you look at if you combine the running backs, Jay McDonald, uh, Terrell West, Shatan Mobley from last year's team, if you take away the outburst they had against FIU, they only rushed for a combined 482 yards between the three of them in a 12-game year season. So that uh, that offense, yes, you can look at Asher O'Hara and say, hey, you know, um, he's not getting it going. But opposing defenses are not losing any sleep at the rushing attack. And quite frankly, you know, if you can't run the football, it's not going to open up things for the passing game. And, and same thing, uh, he hasn't necessarily been good, you know, as a passer. And that's really killing their rushing attack. So overall, it's just a shock, guys, because they have a veteran coaching staff. You know, Rick Stockstill is a veteran, been there, the longest tenured coach in CUSA. Tony Franklin is a veteran, uh, was a former head coach at Cal. And Scott Schaefer, their defensive coordinator, was a head coach at Syracuse. So to see them falling apart and getting blown out by 30-plus every game is pretty surprising. Yeah, I remember, I think, man, the last time we probably chat, I don't know if it was a podcast or off it, or, but we, we talked to, when I put my preview out earlier in, in July, and I remember going through that, and I, I pulled up the the rushing stats for Middle Tennessee, and Ash O'Hara, 1058, you hit that on the nose, but you look at their three leading returning rushers behind him, you got Chad Mobley, Brad Anderson, two running backs. Then you have Zach Dobson, wide receiver, who entered the transfer portal in, man, like late July, mid-July or something like that. So they had nobody coming back. But yeah, it was, man, it was real jarring watching Rice come, you know, a fourth down stop in the red zone away from tying up Army in New York last year to watching Middle Tennessee play them. And they just, they looked so lost. I'm just like, I can understand Army taking the ball and, and, and scoring, not stopping that option attack. It's hard to do, but them not being able to generate any points, I, I, I would agree with you. That's probably one of the bigger surprises to the downside, at least in the first couple weeks. Yeah, I mean, we were, you know, a couple of weeks ago when we talked CUSA title odds, like we were we were skeptical of Middle Tennessee. Like, I, I know we their odds were considerably higher than Rice's and we were like uh, I don't know if that you know quite that big of a gap is justified but uh, I don't know what I expected but it was not this I remember they were they were like there was that upper group of four or five teams that were kind of conference favorites it's or so and then Middle Tennessee was like next man up and I was just like okay that was very odd and now they run into Jeff Trailer and as my mentions have told me, the undefeated UTSA Roadrunners who <laughs> are off to the and I, I can't I can't hey you know what you can't do better than win all your games on your schedule so I I will give them that and we'll we'll let somebody else poke fun at them but you know entering the season you kind of new coaching staff in the middle of a pandemic you think this is kind of going to be pretty tough not bad for starting two and zero. Your thoughts on on them so far? Yeah, so I will say, and I don't want to stir up any, you know, uh, tech rivalries here. But guys, I am optimistic. I Listen, here's the thing about Frank Wilson. And please, I'm going to try uh, every time I've talked about UTSA this year, for the life of me, I will somewhere mix up Frank Harrison, Frank Wilson. So I'm going to say uh, <laughs> not to do that here. With, with Frank Wilson, you know he was a good recruiter. You, you know that he, for... Whatever went wrong as far as his tenure is concerned, he was able to bring in talent. That just didn't translate to wins. So I thought that Jeff Trailer was kind of walking into a situation that was pretty prosperous. And I will say this. If you look at the, the core there in terms of Frank Harris, uh, the quarterback, who was a, a guy who coming out of San Antonio, pretty highly recruited, you know, had some offers from Baylor, I believe UCF, uh, a couple of um, P5 schools. Then you look at Sincere McCormick, who they got a nice uh, piece there, freshman, CUSA freshman of the year. Joshua Cephas, no relation to Aaron Cephas, um, at there at wide receiver. And then um, the safety, Rashad Wisdom. They have some pieces there that make you think they should have been better than the record. But here's the reason why I'm very optimistic about what I'm seeing from UTSA. Are they going to make a bowl game this year? Or are they going to have a winning record? I don't know. But this is the key. In the last three years of the Frank Wilson era, they ranked 105th or lower in points per game in the final three seasons. There was a year where I think, I want to say it was a 2018, 2018 season, that I think they averaged something like 14.2 points per game. 
And I remember just watching them just look abysmal on offense. And it felt to me like, you know, that was the year they had Josiah Toafa and, and, and you know, the, the defensive stud. It felt like they weren't getting any help from their offense. So the fact that they're putting up points and, and the offense looks exciting and it doesn't look stagnant and old and stale like it did in the last three years of Frank Wilson, I think that's reason to be optimistic if you're a Roadrunner fan. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the perks that has been the weird scheduling has left Conference USA, I, I should say for better or for worse, in a lot of primetime marquee <laughs> windows. I probably there's been the lumps, but but one of those I think on one of the first weeks was that Texas State UTSA overtime shootout and if you would have told me, I mean, even with overtime, they scored 51 points. Which they caught, they topped 30. I'm looking right now. They got above 30 against FBS. The only FBS team they got above 30 against was Rice. <laughs> Never mind. Ignore that stat. Yeah. But uh, yeah, if they can score points. It's it's going to be interesting. It's kind of a an up and down season, but they've been kind of one of the more impressive offensive units. And I think having a, a reliable quarterback, a healthy, reliable quarterback, I, I should probably add that caveat, has, has been pretty big for them. Not Frank Wilson. Frank Harris. <laughs> no, guys, I mean, just to you know, quickly um, uh, finish up that point. I mean, I think that's huge as far as the quarterback position for them because they had rotated out so many guys. So if they can get some stability and hopefully for Frank Harris sake, he can stay healthy. You know, he's been banged up pretty much his entire college career. I do think that UTSA could surprise people. Uh, and, and listen, hey, I know I'm on the Rice podcast. I'm on the Roost. I'm sure you guys wouldn't mind having a Frank Wilson. Oh, damn it. Dude, this is your fault. <laughs> it was going to happen. I'm sure you guys wouldn't mind having a Frank Harris type behind center right now. Not that there's not reason to be optimistic about the signal calls that Rice is bringing in, but quarterback has been an issue for the past several years under Mike Bloomgren. So, uh, you know, kudos to Frank Harris and, and, and his success in staying healthy. I mean, if he could, if we could have it be the same guy starting all of the games at quarterback, like, <laughs> you know, our bar's not high here. <laughs> yeah, just it has just not been guy. high since the days of Dreyfus Jackson. Yeah, we'd have to go back. We won't do that. And and for the record, I think actually you could say that Mike Collins' incoming grad transfer has more positive film than frank harris at the collegiate level well okay no at the collegiate level yeah okay that no that is fair i mean frank he was a uh what pennsylvania state all-star set every record i i think it's you got to give it at least comparable i'm not going to say what he did in 17 years ago he, seven years ago in high school senior however long it was pandemic time man you're right. It's not there. But the point is taken, right? Rice could use some consistency. I was going to say, if we're going back that far, then we might as well head up to North Texas. And they got the kid who uh, spent, was it seven years with the with the Yankees? I mean, in that case, we might as well go back to his high school film, you know, back when all of us were in high school. So if we're tracking back that far. <laughs> yeah, if he if he starts, that's been one of the more intriguing quarterback. Well, I'm. I don't even know if I can say that. And I think one of the reasons this got me thinking of, man, it's time to, to get you back on is you put out a tweet uh, last week, I think, with the injury. I think it was the Chris Reynolds injury right. at, at Charlotte that Conference USA was down to two returning quarterbacks, Asher O'Hara at, at Middle Tennessee and, and Southern Mrs. Jack Abraham. And the, the other 11 were, were brand spanking new. And I, I got to tell you, it's. It really feels like, you know, who's to say that Frank Harris or one of the Rice guys doesn't finish off as the a top three or four quarterback at the end of the year? It's yeah, just you, it's so unknown. You say uh, one of the more interesting situations, but I'm not sure there's any such thing as a boring QB situation in CUSA right now. Like not all of them are good, but I'm not sure any of them are boring. You tap. Oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> hey. No, no. The two win minors. Listen, listen, I, I, I had to get that that obligatory, you know, UTEP crack out of the way because I actually am more um, optimistic about the two win minors. Yes, 
both of them have come over FCS teams, but you know what? Baby steps. I, I sent out the tweet from the Underdog Dynasty Twitter page uh, Saturday night that the two wins is more than they've had and or it's, it's equal to what they've had in the past two years combined. So that's something. And of course, you know, UTEP's last FBS win came against. Anyone know? Uh, I'm not answering the question. <laughs> <laughs> I know the answer. I was there. <laughs> yeah. so, so, so my point is, so my point is, you know, baby steps for UTEP there. But I, I will say, like, that one's a little, a little mundane because it's like Gavin Hardison. Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess you have TJ. Well, no, I'm sorry, TJ Godwin um opted out, so you don't even have that. So that's probably the most mundane one. But outside of that, to your point, and and you know, kind of bring it back to the original tweet, I do think it's something that's really interesting. And the reason I made that point is just to show that, especially with all things considered, about how just up in the air this season is. If if you have a stable quarterback coming back, and in this case. Middle Tennessee, Asher O'Hara hasn't finished both games of, for Middle Tennessee State this year. You know, who's to say that either either the East or the West isn't wide open for anybody? So that was kind of the essence of that tweet. I mean, you know, Chris Robinson gets dismissed from FAU, FIU trying to replace James Morgan. I mean, you can look all over this conference and just say that, hey, if someone look at UTSA, if they get or, or Rice, if Mike Collins ends up being the guy and they get stable quarterback play, everything's really, you know, uh, on the table as far as what can and can't happen this year. So, I mean, you look at look at La Tech and Southern Miss last week, you know, uh, Luke Anthony comes in and throws a three touchdown. So that was the, the point of that tweet. And I think it's a good observation, you know, on your part, just to kind of show that really this league is just up for the grabs and what's new. It's Conference USA football, right? Right. And then, you know, I, I think I kind of put a quip out when, when Jack Abraham got named a first-team quarterback coming into the season. I... I didn't know if he was first team. I thought he was pretty good, but uh, you know, he came out first couple games and he has been, yeah, like Tim Jones is phenomenal, but he, he, he's been, he's been fine. But if we had to, I won't make, you know, go one, two, three down the list, but if we had to kind of group think who the best three or four quarterbacks in this conference are right now, is it too early to put Grant Wells in there at, at Marshall? I don't know if it's if it's too early, but I was gonna say, can you even come up with three at this point, just because of how many guys you got to replace? I mean, if I if we tried to do this here, right, you got to go Jack Abraham one. I would have put Asher O'Hara too, but you know, like I said, the way his season's going, you can't quite do that. Um, jeez, a Tyler Johnson UAB, he's hurt. He's Chris hurt. Reynolds is yep. hurt. I mean, like getting. <laughs> Wait, Mark... can we not get to two? Like Marshall getting a win over App State is as like as big a win over another G5 program as a CUSA team has had in a long time, I feel like. So I mean, and granted, they're you know, they were gonna lose a lot. They lost a lot of talent from last year, they lost strength wins to Mizzou, but like beating App State is not nothing. Um, and you know, especially after in the summer when we were like, Oh, well, Marshall just lost their quarterback in the middle of the summer. That's tough luck for them, but uh Turns out it wasn't wasn't too tough luck after all. I actually had the list pulling up now, and I'm I'm looking down the list, and I got to tell you, I totally forgot Tyrell Pigram was at Western Kentucky now. Yeah, well, I that's just, how I was looking. I just at. have memories and of him beating Texas like four years ago. Conference USA passing touchdown leader Tyrell Pigram. <laughs> oh, okay, hang on a second. Hang, hang on before we do that. Did any of you guys happen to watch that Western Kentucky game in its entirety? Because I know it was the noon, uh, the early game. No, I caught parts and pieces. Mm-hmm. I purposefully, uh, wow, let's try this again. I purposefully w- wanted to uh, um, watch that game because I wanted to see what Western had in Tyrell Pigrome. He is a dynamic athlete. Like, I hate, it's the lazy comparison, guys, but it's Michael Vick-esque in terms of how much how much more athletic he looks to the rest of the players on the field but here's the thing if you look at the box score i think he went something like 18 to 25 for a buck something and three touchdowns but he missed so many throws he he got the the seven passes he missed there was a key one where he had a, a tight end streaking wide open down the field didn't set his feet overthrew him the passes that he did complete the receivers were reaching behind them or reaching in front of them 
it just seems as if the consistency isn't there with him. And that was kind of the knock on him coming out of Maryland. We had a, a Sports Illustrated writer who covers Maryland on to talk about Max Bornschlager at FIU. And I asked him about Pigram as well. And he said that that was the thing with him was just you saw the dynamic athletic ability. You saw the athletic ability that made him a Big Ten quarterback. But you didn't see the consistency. And my thing is for Western, they are got to be crying for the tie story days. Just someone who's going to go, you know, 15 to 20, not do anything spectacular, but he's going to convert third downs and, and keep the, the offense in, in good position because they are not there right now. And, and Pigram cannot throw the ball downfield. He has the arm to, but his accuracy is just, if you guys go back and watch that game in its entirety, you'll see the box score totally lies as far as his uh, performance in that game. Hey, Tyler Story, going by our list, would be a top three quarterback in Conference USA this year, which is wild because we wouldn't have said that last year. I don't know if he would have cr- cracked the top five. Yeah, I mean, we've we've referenced uh, on this podcast the you know the level of quarterback play that, that Rice got from Tom Stewart in the, the three game win streak last year, but you know it's amazing how when you've had bad quarterback like truly bad quarterback play for a long time that just basic competency seems like the entire world like if you go back and look at at Stewart's stats from those three games there's nothing special about any of them other you know like I don't know the MTSU game with three touchdowns to to Rosner in the first half was nice but like it's not like he threw for 300 yards plus in those games it's just like oh wow having the same guy the whole time and having him like make the plays that are there is when you haven't had that in a while. It's just like, it's, 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 it's such a wonderful feeling. So, uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I empathize with the, uh, the, the Western fans right now, Matt, let me ask you this really quickly. I don't know if you happen to remember this during the off season. I, I sent out a tweet, something to the effect of, I was watching rice versus, I want to say UTSA last year. And I was saying, wow, just really impressed with Brad Rosner and, of course, you know, um, uh, Trammell as well. And saying that if they played at a North Texas or somewhere like that at FAU, they'd easily both go over a thousand yards. And then I, and I, I rarely check who likes my tweets and whatnot, you know, but then I, I look up an hour later and Mike Bloomgren has liked that tweet. So I think that guy's got <laughs> the, the indicator. Has to I've heard of him. Quarterback situation. So it's it's interesting. And you mentioned the offseason, you know, going back what we're on month seven. Six, however long of the offseason, dragging on longer than usual. And we, we played a game a couple weeks ago, kind of like a either or what's more likely to happen thing with some of the Rice rice players and kind of props, things like that. And, and one of the things that we were debating was the likelihood of Rice getting 2,000-yard receivers. And, you know, they both topped out, I think they were somewhere around 700-ish plus or minus 40, 50 yards last year. So, you know, you have to, I guess, adjusted for a however many game season, not 12, a thousand is probably, shoot, if a Rice receiver gets a thousand yards this year, you hand them the Bolitnikoff. That would be <laughs> nice. But, but yeah, I mean, it's, they, they certainly have the talent. I mean, you watch what, and I, we hadn't hit on North Texas yet at all, but if you watch what, their combination of quarterbacks and Seth Luttrell has done so far. I mean, they're averaging 600, 619 yards a game of, of total offense in the two games after, you know, the best player in program history has departed. Yeah. Which is not bad. It's but not, it's not bad, but <laughs> when, when you're down 30 points and you're just chucking it, that's kind of what happens. Um, and, and, I, and I don't mean that in a joking way to North Texas. I, I To kind of bring around to a serious point, you know, defensive coordinator Troy Reffert was uh, dismissed at the end of last year. They bring in uh, Bowen from Kansas, and they can't stop anybody. Like, I, I, you guys would know this being down there in Houston. Bailey Zappi, I mean, would Bailey Zappi be the best quarterback in Conference USA at this point if you were playing in Conference USA? Because, I mean, he's just chucking it for Houston Baptist. But the fact that they gave up 480 to them, is a little uh, disappointing. And that's something that, you know, you talked about North Texas losing the best player in program history. I'm not saying they have to adjust their way of play. I expect them to be a high-powered offense. But I just don't think it's fair that, especially coming in year one of the post-Mason Fine era, 
that for them to have any chance of winning games, they're going to have to put up 35, 40 points because the defense can't stop anybody. Hey, for the record, on Bailey Zappi, I did did see that one of those games that, you know, with our light slates, he put up almost 600 yards, I think four touchdowns against Texas Tech. So he might actually be okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he I mean, might they, be a they top got five in some shootouts with FBS teams <laughs> last year. So uh, I, I'm not I'm not surprised that he's uh, that he's lighting them up again. This I believe year. they were like leading UTEP into the fourth quarter. They were. They were. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, the final was like 36, 34, wasn't it? Something like that. Something like that. So there you go. HBU's HBU's quarterback might be a top four quarterback in, in Conference USA. Man, it's it's wild. Like, and, and it's it what's I think what's craziest about it is there's I feel like, you know, you get to like week three or four and I don't know what that approximate is in this season is. But every time I get to this point and, and I look at my preseason notes and put stuff together and I feel like about a third of the teams, I'm just like, I, I we knew exactly who you were. Like, I think UAB is probably a great example. Like, we know that you're going to play really good defense. And you're going to have Spencer Brown and you'll do enough on offense and you'll win a lot of games. Like, I feel like I got UAB we got, but I feel like there's so much of the rest of the conference that I just don't have a good finger on right now. I mean, we, we talked about Western Kentucky. We've only seen one game from Charlotte. We've seen one game from Louisiana Tech. I don't, if we go past the who's the who knows what we're getting from Old Dominion this year. <laughs> I don't even know who the the best, second best, third best teams are. Is that kind of have you got a more a better handle on kind of how things are, are are shaking out so far than me? Are you kind of having a similar read of like it's still so early, and and we shoot we haven't seen teams Louisiana Tech beat Southern Miss. This is a credit we give Skip Holtz a, a lot of grief, but beat. Southern Miss with what was it 20 players from his two deep not traveling <laughs> that uh yeah I think it was yeah I think um Corey Diaz is something like 22 23 guys something to that effect this is what I feel comfortable saying about Conference USA I feel that we know that UAB is going to be good are they going to win the West we don't know that's going to depend on their quarterback situation but we know what they have on defense and you know what you have on with Spencer Brown with Louisiana Tech I feel confident enough, based on what I saw, that if Luke Anthony or Aaron Allen, either or, just gives them steady quarterback play, they will be a good football team. I like what they have coming back. Uh, and, and the running back, Justin Henderson, Israel Tucker came back and gave them something last week. The receivers, Adrian Hardy, Griffin Bear, Smoke Harris, C.J. Powell, those guys are no slouches. And they got enough on defense, and especially Willie Baker hasn't even played yet. I feel confident enough in saying that Louisiana Tech is a solid football team. And even though that, you know, Skip Holtz is what it is. I mean, Skip Holtz is a solid football coach. So I feel comfortable in that. Now, here's the one that I'm holding out kind of like a little bit of a wild card on. You know, Marshall, Doc Holliday, once again, going to be well coached. You'll see what happens with Grant Wells. I feel confident in, in um, almost at Spencer Brown, uh, Brendan Knox. To the dismay of Florida Atlantic fans who have their own crusade against Brendan Knox, you know... <laughs> Um, it's crazy. Like I've seen, I'm not going to go rail on a fan base, but I've seen people be like, oh, our guys are better. But they're just like, no, nah, Brendan Mox, he's not that good. He'd be like third string. And I'm like, have you watched him? Ah, the, the, he's the real good. The person you're referring to is a guy who I host a Shula Bowl podcast with is Shane. <laughs> I'm going to call him out by name because Shane has made that point uh, <laughs> that, that he would be third or fourth string at FAU. Um, as, as, as laughable as that is, you know what you have with Brendan Knox and Tavante Beckett pound for pound one of the best players in college football, you know, at playing linebacker at 5'11", 205 or whatever he is, is outstanding. But this is what I know about FAU. Malcolm Davidson, I will give Shane this. Malcolm Davidson, if he got as many carries as Brendan Knox, I mean, he might run for 1,500 yards. He's the real deal. Behind him, you still have the Alabama transfer in B.J. Emmons, who broke his leg three or four games into the year. You got Larry McCammon, a kid from Hoover High School in Alabama. And then you have James... I always forget that fourth running back. I believe it's James Charles. I could have that wrong, but they have a fourth running back behind them. They got a couple grad transfers at a receiver. 
Aaron Young, who was a starter at Duke for two years, and then CJ, uh, come on, I always forget his, uh, he's from Tampa, I'm not forgetting his name right now, Clemson transfer, whose name is escaping me right now, but uh, TJ Chase, TJ Chase, there yeah, we go. There we go. Yeah, was a uh, highly recruited kid, uh, made his way to, to FAU, so they have talent. That's really going to come down to whether or not Nick Tronti can execute whatever offense that Willie Taggart is going to run. But I feel confident enough in them that just offensively speaking, despite the fact that they're replacing so much on defense, they'll be fine. So if you're going to do a one through three as far as CUSA goes, I feel you got La Tech, UAB, and whatever that hope that FAU is, I feel and, and Marshall, so that's your one through four, I feel good enough with that. Everything else I think is a crapshoot, to be completely honest with you. And here's here's what is most interesting about that. So we haven't even seen FAU play. Uh, I believe their first game was 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 pushed back. I, I guess it was Georgia State got canceled because of, of COVID concerns. So we haven't even seen FAU plan play. But if I gave you uh, those four, uh, FAU, Marshall, Louisiana Tech, and UAB, and the field, who wins the championship this year? If I gave you those four in the field, You, it's the lazy <laughs> answer. It's the lazy answer, but UAB. I mean, you gotta. God, and I don't even feel. Com- I don't feel confident. In but that. that's that's you the thing. I was, I was processing that through that question, and I'm like, it's it's probably the top four because it's probably like probably going to be one of those teams. But like, here's here's what I'll say. I, I'll I'll make this quick. Yes, UAB does have the court. The question of quarterback. But that's been a question even since the days of the kid whose name, is, yeah, whose, whose name is escaping me right now. Um, oh God, before Tyler Johnson, I'm, uh, um, I can't remember his name right now. He's a transfer too. But quarterback's always been a question for for UAB, right? But they have the formula outside of that, which is play good defense and run the football. And if they can do those things, UAB has it's at least not like a real departure from what they do anyhow. Yeah, I mean, I you're not wrong. It's just it's it's crazy. We always talk about that this conference is so wide open, but actually going through it and trying to make a list, it's it's so hard. And maybe you know, maybe we get four or five weeks into the season and there is some separation. But I mean, it didn't. I I I think back to and I and I'm I'm guessing that you were probably watching this as as a, a curious college football fan. The, the first college game of the season, the the FCS showdown between Austin P and Central Arkansas, when Austin P played a game without a single long snapper and had their quarterback do pooch kicks the entire game after a negative yard punt. I are good, man. I'm sorry. Well, I was just going to say if that I, I keep coming back to that as my frame of reference. So. It's totally possible, I think, tell me if I'm wrong, that we get six weeks into the season and we still don't know if you line two teams up on any Saturday who the better team is in this conference. I completely agree with you. And that's a point. When I saw that game, I referenced that game on probably two or three or four radio appearances just to show you what type of unknown you could have. To that point, I don't know if you happen to see this because it just came out earlier today. Here in Tampa at USF, they actually had the guy, uh, there was a kid, a freshman, who was doing some video work for them. And the kid is 235 pounds, was a former long snapper in high school, wanted to stay around the game, so picked up a job you know, as one of the video guys in the tower. And he will be suiting up for USF this week against FAU because they need help at long snapper. That's not a joke. That is this a UCF? like U- U.S. You whoa 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 don't don't confuse those two. Well, no, I was saying, is this the UCF fan and uh, oh, alum oh. and you oh. <laughs> throw punches? No, 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 no. It, it genuinely isn't. It's it's just a matter of just to show you like <laughs> how crazy this is that, and we don't like they didn't come out and say it's COVID related or not. But just to your point, the uncertainty about you know three you get three four days into the week and all of a sudden you have an entire position group that's gone and you can't do something. That's I completely agree with you. You could, you know, play a game five weeks from now and UAB or La Tech or um, whoever it may be could be, you know, four and one or five and oh. And then they lose a game to, uh, uh, you know, whoever. 
and you still don't know anything about the team. So this season will definitely be one of the, the most interesting, unlike any other, just for that specific point in itself, you know? I mean, I fully expect us to get to championship weekend and it be the sort of scenario where if you just looked at the standings, you would have no idea who was going to play in the championship game. And it's going to go to like the eighth tiebreaker and some fan base is going to be mad about it for eight to ten years. After Conference USA, the three days before selection has changed the tiebreakers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the tiebreakers will change at least three times in the week leading up to the championship game. But Yeah, it is crazy, Eric, because we we talked about on this podcast in the wake of, of that game. I th- believe Austin P also lost their their top wide receiver because he was a, a roommate of somebody that that tested positive or uh, c- contact tracing of, of some sort. And and my first thought was, well, Blaze Aldridge and Brad Rosner are roommates, so you got to get a bubble or like divide the room or something. We <laughs> yeah, we got to guys. We, we can't have that. That's that's nuts. I mean, I it's something that you don't consider until you have to consider it. But as you said that my mind just went to what would Rice be without Blaze Aldridge and Brad Rosner? And that's not very good. So, yeah, it, it's it's something that... And, and, like, all jokes aside, I don't know how you combat that, right? Like, you can't tell kids you can only live... You, you know, I mean, what, is is FIU's offensive coordinator, Rich Skorowski, going to start running in, you know, houses or dorms and be like, hey, I need this lineman here, and, you know, you go with the fifth-string long snapper? Like, I don't... It's, <laughs> this whole thing is just nuts, you know? It actually brings me back to so that for the schools that were able to get in spring practice, this was a, a bit different. The last spring practice that Rice was able to get to to get in way back in, in March, they actually did a thing where they, they had the offense and the defense switch roles f- for the practice. So they had, I, I believe, like Prudy Calderon, one of the, one of the starting safeties or I guess one, one of the reserve safety. He was a quarterback. And you had the offensive line playing defensive line and you had all the cross training go on just kind of like a get an appreciation for for what your your teammate in the trenches is going through when we yell at, the, at him at you to do something or block this way or something like that. And at that point, you know, there were some recruits there. Everyone was just kind of having a good time. It was a fun practice, a good way to close it out before the pandemic hit. But now I look back and I'm like, you know. Like if we're out of tight ends, like. You could Antonio Montero could play two ways like you could put Garrett Grammer at fullback. We might have to <laughs> like we could get there. Let's hope that it doesn't get to that, that Prudy Calderon is lining up at quarterback and, you know, Jordan Myers is playing defensive end and, you know, George Nyakwal is is is, you know, a running back. Let's hope it doesn't get to that point, because then we could see some pretty bad football as I'm literally watching the replay of Troy and middle Tennessee as I'm taping this podcast. Oh, Hey, Hey, for the record, for the record, Rice's Rice's victory formation is, is they call it Buffalo George and George Nyquil does line up in the backfield in victory (laughs) formation. So technically I don't, I guess they, did they use it? They did it against two teams last year. I think they, the UTEP game and the North Texas game both ended with victory formation. So twice George and I call lined up at running back last year. I'm just saying. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm sorry, Matt. I didn't get a chance to see that in 2018 when Rice came. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll get you back <laughs> someday. It's it's pretty crazy. And I mean, so I think the the, the general consensus so far around Conference USA as a whole is that there is no consensus and we don't really know. So in, in some ways, I, I, I feel almost like we could have had this conversation in a normal non-pandemic year. So 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 there's that. But we, we've kind of hit around some some surprises and, and some other things. Is there any I guess if, we, if we're, you know, forward thinking a big question or two of like what you're looking forward to as, you know, FAU and FIU rice, eventually all everyone gets out to playing. What are the big questions that kind of are are in your head that you need answered as we kind of flesh out what this conference is going to be? Uh, In in specificity to rice and FIU. Well, no, just a conference as a whole. I mean, we got, we have half the conference hasn't even played a game yet. Well, I guess a third, something like that, but just big overarching questions for a, a program or the conference or, you know, what, what you're watching. 
Got you. Sure. Okay. No. Well, I mean, the obvious is the quarterback situation. I would say this. The things that I would keep my eye on, I think if you look at this conference as a whole right now, you want to see, and you did mention Grant Wells. What can he do? If he can be consistent, I, I hate to to say it, you know, um, not that I have anything against Marshall, but I, I, I'm saying I hate to say it in terms of just putting it all on his shoulders. But if he can be consistent, you got to look at Marshall's potential dark horse G5, you know, NY6 bowl game. Dark horse, because if you look at the rest of their schedule, they have a top 25 win already on their, on their resume. If they run the table, you got to look at that. So I definitely, that's one thing. FAU. What do they look like? Because they are the defending conference champs, and I am a huge believer in that run game, and they have a ton of grad transfers coming in. If they can hit on, I mean, we didn't even talk about Michael Irvin the second who came in as going to be their starting tight end, you know. If they can hit on 50, 60, 70% of their grad transfers and get something from Nick Tronti, they're going to be a player. In the West, you want to see if Frank Harris can keep things up, because who knows, UTSA might be that dark horse candidate. Not saying they're going to go undefeated, but if if you know they can keep outscoring teams, that'll be interesting. And definitely from La Tech, Aaron Allen and Luke Anthony. I think that is the quarterback battle to watch throughout the season because whatever they get from those guys, I, I talked about it before about the running game with uh, with Henderson and, and Israel Tucker. They have four receivers. They've got uh, talent on defense. I just think that's the situation that's pretty tailor made along with UAB where those two teams, they don't have as many question marks as everyone else. And the last one I'll give you, and I, and I promise I'm not you know, being prisoner of the moment because I'm watching this game, it's been a long run for Rick Stockstill at MTSU, and I am not someone who's saying, oh, you know, I'm never going to advocate for a coach losing his job. However, is it time that it's just time for a new voice, you know, all the way around? I liken it, and, and you did you know, reference me being a UCF alum. I reference it to the year I graduated from UCF in 2015 with George O'Leary. That program had clearly reached its apex with George O'Leary. You know, they won the Fiesta Bowl, Blake Bortles, 2013. They come back 2014, 8-9 uh, win season. 2015, you know, the bottom falls out. They don't win a game, right? They had clearly reached their apex. They clean house. The coach, uh, head coach in waiting, or head coach, you know, to be after O'Leary retired and Brent Key, he's dismissed. They don't bring back anybody. And you bring in Scott Frost, two years later, they're, you know, winning the, the Peach Bowl. Not saying Middle Tennessee State by any stretch is going to go to an NY6 bowl game. So I'm going to put that on the record, 2022. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm not necessarily saying that. However, that's just the analogy I, I look at with Middle Tennessee is, have they reached their apex with um, Rick Stockstill? I was having this debate with the guy who hosts the Shula Bowl podcast with, he's a believer that, hey, you know, maybe if you can recruit that area a little bit better, maybe they can be a consistent 10-win 10, uh, 10 team. I don't know. But all I'm saying is you got to think they're better than this. So I would definitely keep an eye on that throughout the season to see maybe, you know, if this is a Rick Stockstill swan, swan song there in uh, Murfreesboro and maybe just have a, you know, a polite resignment slash retirement there and, and they move on to someone else. You know, we'll see what happens as far as that situation plays itself out. I admire your restraint for uh, <laughs> ref for saying that uh, UCF won the Peach Bowl in 2017 and uh, <laughs> not taking the additional step there, if you will. <laughs> no, you know what? I I, I felt it coming off the tip of my tongue, and I just held it back. You know, I was like the Peach Bowl. <laughs> this, I, I am speaking as an objective journalist here. Okay, you know, come <laughs> come find me. You know, when I'm uh, visiting UCF for homecoming, then maybe it's a different uh, different conversation. Yeah, there we go. And I, and I will close. You you brought up Rick Stockstill, and and this is kind of a, a point that we've we've hit with a, a couple of our guests. So maybe we we can land the plane here. But Conference USA has this collection of coach coaches, which we've I think Carter we've we've dealt, named it the the mild seat, where like yeah they're just not they're not going to get fired, but also like you don't really like it's not the Bill Clark where you're like this guy he could whoever's on the roster he could do it. Like he's not the up and coming and, and Rick Stockstill before last year, Middle Tennessee, seven straight years of six wins or more. A couple eight win seasons, won a Camellia Bowl, I think five bowl games. It's just, you know, who knows? We we, we thought we would have a slow coaching carousel and, and Southern Miss is, is on to a new guy in week two. So we, we might not know anything, but it's it wouldn't be the craziest thing. And, and that's the thing. I'll probably I'll make this point succinct, but you talked about it. You said seven straight years of six wins or more. Listen, when I was at UCF, I was wholly opposed to 
you know, them losing every game. I was like, we can at least rebound and make a bowl game again, you know? And then you look, and there's this untapped ceiling. Once again, I'm not saying that's the ceiling for Middle Tennessee, but, like, do you really get excited about seven straight years of six wins? You know, is that does that rally up as a fan? I, I don't know. So, like you said, we'll see what happens. But that's just, it's it's great. You know, it's a great talking point. So, like, hey, we go to the Camellia Bowl every year. No disrespect to the Camellia Bowl. I was just there. <laughs> um, but does that really get you fired up as a fan? I, I don't know. I mean, as someone who's covering Rice, I would take the Camellia Bowl this year. But, you yeah, know, uh, all a matter of perspective, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get there. It's you know, it's it's the uh, what what you know and what you don't. Grass is always greener, right? I guess we'll see. Well, we'll uh, at some point there will be more Conference USA football. And we'll have to to circle back and, and get you on again. But uh, I wanted to say thanks for for stopping by for sure. And uh, can you go ahead and let us let us know and our listeners know where they can follow you and and all of your reserved UCF Peach Bowl takes. <laughs> no, I appreciate it, guys. Always uh, enjoy coming on the podcast. You can find me at underdogdynasty.com. Uh, um, I now am uh, in a new role there. I'm the co-managing editor with uh, Cyrus having, you know, uh, gracefully bowed out and in, in, in after a five-year run. So uh, I'm heading up that website, and you can also find me on Twitter at Eric C. Henry underscore. Um, all the uh, benign, you know, lukewarm UCF takes, but more, uh, more likely to see FIU and Conference USA coverage across those platforms. Well, all right. Uh... Thanks again to Eric for joining us. Uh, thanks to everyone for listening. We'll see y'all next week and Rice Fight. This show was edited and produced by Carter Spires. It features music from Joseph McDade.